You will never guess how much music matters to millennials. And what happens when stars are the network? This is episode 29 of Media Unplugged, the podcast that goes behind the spin to reveal what's really happening in media. Media Unplugged with Tom A. Sacker and Mark Ramsey. Welcome to Media Unplugged. I'm Mark Ramsey. And I'm Tom A. Sacker. Tom, you will never guess how much music matters to millennials. Do you like do you like the nature of that you, headline? You, Isn't that a good the one? Best headline. I tell you all the time. You are the headline <laughs> king. You should be working for BuzzFeed or someone. Well, maybe I will be one of these days. We'll see how this podcast continues to go. So you'll never guess how much music matters to millennials. Does music matter to millennials more than to anybody else? That was the question taken up by a report just released by Vivo. You all know Vivo. Vivo is the music uh, music video streaming uh, platform. And uh, they it was kind of an interesting report. Among the headlines in this report, 65% of millennials want to feel music through my whole body. That's good. <laughs> I don't even know what that means. I, I, keep going. There must be. How do you ask a question like well, that? That was like the number one insight, or was it? That was the first insight in the report. That was the first insight now, in the look, report. Now look, you're, you're and the research expert, downhill. so I get to this. You know, you send me the report, or I send you the report. I, I read the first insight, and then I pause and I think about it for a second, and I say, wait a minute. So the report, the report states the majority of young consumers agree that they cannot live without music and that music is right. part of what defines them. Yes. And then 69% music is important to me. 71% say music someone likes tells me a lot about that person. And so I said, wait a minute. Let me replace the word music with like fashion. Right? Mm -hmm. They cannot live without fashion. 69% say fashion is important to them. 71% say fashion you know, the fashions that people like tell me a lot about them. And then I put in something else. And I said, just this works for a lot of different things. Social media, fashion. So I think that's true, but I don't know if it's true to the same degree. I mean, fashion's a good example. I mean, fashion, you know, fashion, the fashion someone likes will tell you a lot about that person. But fashion may not be important to you, not to the tune of 69%. I, I think what's interesting to this about this to me is I look at this and I say, well, wait a minute. Would these statistics have been any different 10 years ago, 20 years ago, 30 years ago? Or are we just simply look? I mean, when a, when a, a massive crowd at Madison Square Garden is there for the Beatles, are they not feeling this? You know, when Elvis Presley's audience is, you know, going gaga over him, are they not feeling this? Is this really, is the extent of... Uh, uh, of interest uh, in music really different for millennial consumers? No, no. But the 71% that says it tells you a lot about them, that might be new because back then, if you asked people who they liked, they said the Beatles. <laughs> so in other words, it was true of everyone. So that's that, right. So it told you nothing about <laughs> So it didn't tell anybody. you anything about anyone. <laughs> uh, that's interesting. And it, it, the point is made in this report, uh, and I didn't know that there are over 10 times more conversations about music on social media than there are about TV. And they go through the various categories, social stars, sports, television, movies, and the volume of uh, mentions in social media. And music is just head and shoulders above any of those categories. In some cases, all of those categories combined. That was interesting to me. How about you? No, that was a big insight. Yeah. And, and there was... Uh a quote, I don't know if it was an actual quote, but there was, it was in quotation marks. It's from some front row 
fan they, they, as they distinguished the four types of fans. And this fan was quoted as saying, um, on the computer, I'll go more towards the video than the song. I learn more about the artist because they'll show their story. And that's another way that you can relate more. And this is that's right. really interesting to me. Now, those people's desires to relate today to someone or something's story for it to be a you know personal is a it's a really big driver. And I know you hate this word and you're really sick of it. But this whole idea of artisanal <laughs> and, and I know this is gonna this is this is gonna sound crazy to you, but I just read an article in the Daily Beast and it was titled Is Artisanal Music the Next New Thing? Oh, Listen, man. and by artisanal, the author meant a deep commitment to craft, you know, outstanding musicianship from re real flesh and blood performers, cats who can really play is how he put it. And he made the compelling case that it is the next new thing. And he summed up his argument by saying that craft always wins out in the end, especially in areas of culture and creativity. So maybe that's what we're seeing with, with, with music, this fragmentation and people grasping and looking for the real deals. I don't know. <laughs> well, it certainly worked for Soft Cell and Tainted Love, there you didn't go. it, Kraft? <laughs> no. I mean, that's a lot of nonsense. Yeah. That's a lot of nonsense. First of all, Kraft has always been central to the music industry. What becomes popular and what's Kraft uh, are, have always been two different things. So the idea that it's easier to have craft because it's easier for everyone to ex uh, exhibit their craft is a totally separate argument <laughs> from some renaissance of craftiness. So, but anyway, that's nah, a, you've been you know we're not even talking about that topic. That Harvard that article or book on on the, on the top hits dominating the charts that 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 whole well <laughs> we'll pretend it's Harvard even if it's BuzzFeed just for the sake All of right. argument. So. All right, so here's something interesting in this that I, I found fascinating. That it, One article from uh, Variety about this uh, report said, one casualty of this process seems to be genres. More than a third of all music fans surveyed by Vivo said they aren't fans of any particular music genre, and just one in four is a fan of one single genre. So, in other words, you know, back in the day, 10, 20, 30 years ago, you remember when you were oh, a yeah. kid, Tom, that... You know, you were a rock fan, you were a pop fan, and you weren't the same person. And it, maybe somebody was a disco fan uh, back in the 70s. And those were really very separate genres with, with antipathies between them. And nowadays, all those differences have evaporated. I certainly see that play out, and I think that is a unique characteristic yeah, of millennials. That's, yeah, that's you? true. I mean, when I, <laughs> listen, when I, was, when I owned a turntable in college, you would never see somebody <laughs> play in the doors and then throw on a Bee Gees you know, album. <laughs> they, they'd lock that guy up, you know, so. And now, and now they're on the same playlist. Exactly. <laughs> one, one flaw, I think, in this report, and this is just an astonishing flaw, they talk about where millennials go yeah, for their music. Yeah, I was going to ask uh, you that. That was, that was really strange to me. That, that, I didn't get that at all. Well, listen to this. Vivo leads the charge with 87% <laughs> of all music report. fans saying they frequent it. Yeah, it's our report, but guess what? We're the star of our own report. Frequented the platform last month to the tune of 13.3 hours on average. Pandora is unsurprisingly second, uh, followed by Spotify and SoundCloud. And to me, I look at this and I say, Pandora's unsurprisingly second. What about the shockingly surprisingly app, surprising absence of a little site called yeah, exactly. YouTube? I didn't understand that at all. And I'll tell you something else I wanted to ask you because you're like the research guy. They broke down where these four categories of fans 
where they get their music from, right? And mm. I, I just, so they said the talent scouts, these are the music influencers, affluent males, 25 to 34. It said they use Last FM and Sirius. Front row fans use Spotify. Crowd surfers use Xbox Music. And Tom, and nobody uses YouTube and nobody yeah, uses what Facebook. Is that? I just, just to be clear yeah, about that. I don't that. get it. Well, I think they're talking about tendencies and because they're trying to create distinctions between these categories. But when you focus only on tendencies, you lose what most people actually do, regardless of regardless of if segment one does more something more than segment two, but all segments do a lot of something else, you lose that wow, whole exactly. issue. And to leave YouTube out of this and to ignore Facebook, quite frankly, which drives traffic for all of these platforms, it's ridiculous. Yep. So, uh, on the whole, a mixed evaluation for Vivo, Vivo's new report. Although they were called Vivo, it would be better. <laughs> <laughs> You're listening to Media Unplugged with Tom Asacker and Mark Ramsey. What happens when stars are the network, Tom? This is something we've talked about on and off before. Uh, a piece from Brand Channel called Talent Res- Resources Debuts Celebrity Instagram. Talent Resources, by the way, is a digital social agency, and essentially what they've got is a program whereby celebrity influencers create their own networks and allow them, uh, brands are able to connect directly with those celebrity influencers and bypass any other network. The days when you take a star and you put it in a TV show, you put them in a TV show, you, you know, put them in a commercial, those days are gone, friends, because you can go direct now to that celebrity's network of fans and uh, drive your message. And they gave a couple of examples. What was your take on this? Well, listen, I, I've told you a, a lot of times that I'm intrigued by the, the whole economic power of celebrities in, in today's, this connected marketplace we're in. I mean, we once, we looked mm. at like, like our family and friends, actual human relationships for, for direction on what to do, what to buy. And now people are relying on what psychologists call parasocial relationships, and that's this idea that we develop an intimacy and a friendship with these media personalities, so much so that we actually feel that they know us and understand us. I'm telling you, it's strange, and it's a growing mm. phenomenon, and it's shaping a lot of people's choices and identities. You, you, we've talked in, on previous episodes about movie stars that are, that are curating mm-hmm. products and starting their own websites it, it, it's a really strange phenomenon. It's strange, but it makes so much sense because these, you know, although brands like to clothe themselves with the aspects of, of people, brands are not people. Um, these people are people. And we all <laughs> well, have a better relationship with people. I'm with you. I know what you're saying. Well, they may not behave like, like, like human right. beings, but they're certainly people. <laughs> That's a different story. <laughs> to be a celebrity does not mean you're, you're I got you know, you. whatever. <laughs> so, um, I find it really interesting, and I think the power is going to continue sh- to shift in this direction. And to a degree, um, you know, the network affiliation is going to be much less important. Here's the quote. Brands used to put celebrities in magazine ads for PR for a TV show, but now celebrities are more powerful than the networks. With 30 million tw- followers on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook, celebrities have their own networks to communicate messages to fans real time. I mean, that is unquestionably true. I think one of the challenges going forward is going to be, is there going to be any backlash to that? Um, to the degree that uh, Kim Kardashian is pimping for a brand and people know she's pimping for a brand, is that different 
than an authentic, you know, authentic mention from Kim Kardashian in the, you know, in the unlikely event that such a thing is yeah, possible. Yeah, another oxymoron. <laughs> Here you go again. <laughs> no, look, I don't know, Mark. This is what I'm telling you. I, this just strikes me as a trend that's going to grow and grow and grow. And, you know, you look at it and you don't really even know where it, how far it can, it, it can spread in its influence. I mean, remember, we, we elected the Terminator to be the governor of, of California. Uh, where, where does this stop? Well, I mean, and I voted for that man. <laughs> and I can tell you, I can tell you that I thought it would be fun. <laughs> I mean, you know, and I, I think probably if you were to do a poll of everybody who voted for Arnold Schwarzenegger for governor, the vast majority would say, let's see what happens. This could be fun. Uh-oh, that means Trump you know, is going to win this thing. You know that, right? <laughs> um, I absolutely know that. I'm afraid so. One of the points that I think that also we should talk about here is that where this is going to go, I think, is that as more power gets wrapped up in these celebrities, that power is really in the audiences of these celebrities and their ability to communicate directly with those audiences. And recently, just in the last week or so, you saw Pandora by Ticketfly, which is a competitor to Ticketmaster. And I think that ties in in the following sense. Pandora has this massive audience in this massive data, uh, uh, data platform as well. For them to buy Ticketfly and start selling tickets to events informed by the data that they have and more importantly informed by the relationships they have with all these consumers who are listening to Pandora that to me is really compelling because what they're doing there is no different from what Nicki Minaj does on Twitter they're leveraging their audience they can leverage them directly and they can build out their business model based on the permission they have from these tens of millions of people who have a relationship with Pandora. They know what these people like. Would you be interested in a show from this artist that you've thumbed up 50,000 times? Yes, I would. That seems to me to be really smart and an obvious extension of, of where this kind of, you know, the power is in the audience, not in the network that builds the audience independent of talent. No, that to me is where I, I see it going. I agree with you. I mean, the power is in the ecosystem. And that's what Pandora is doing, right? They're serving listeners, but they're also supporting artists. And anything they can do to better connect the artists with the fans, with that massive amount of data that they've acquired, that adds value to the entire ecosystem. Now, I'm telling you, here's the real big deal, because I was thinking about this. What better way to understand an audience than to know what events they'll invest their limited time and money to attend? That information is going to be invaluable to advertisers as a predictor of brand preference. There's no doubt in my mind on that. Interesting. And that relates to what we were talking about, I think, uh, last time where we said, you know, everything can be, almost everything can be a commodity, but how you spend your time in the real world, that's That's scarce, right? That's it. Yeah, good point. Tom, it's time for Rants and Raves. Well, I thought mine was going to be a surprise, but all of a sudden this thing is all over the TV, all over Twitter, and the time has finally arrived. After 62 years, Playboy magazine will no longer feature (laughs) photos of naked women. You thought that one would uh, would would stay undercover, did you? I, I get it, undercover. That's a good one. You and I should write this beforehand. It would be even more clever than we are. No, what, what I thought was funny was the way they reported it. Executives at Playboy have come to realize that the internet has filled that demand. That's kind of funny. They just realized yeah, that's that. Funny. Yeah. Like, so what, what did somebody just show one of these eighty-year-old guys like a phone with a naked <laughs> picture on it? Oh my God, we're in trouble. 
So the circulation since 1975 has dropped from 5.6 million magazine subscriptions to 800,000. And that's still a big number. <laughs> and who are those well, people? Well, here's the interesting thing. <laughs> Why, so, so yeah, you look at it and you say, listen, why, why would I awkwardly purchase this girly magazine at a convenience store <laughs> when I can call up any image I want for free on my phone and people watching me have no idea what the hell I'm looking at, right? Uh-huh. So this is what strikes me as a really dumb move. I'm sorry. Starting in March of 2016, because they have a quote-unquote brand, what they say is one of the most mm-hmm. recognizable logos in the world, Playboy is going to focus on this highly coveted millennial male market with this modern safe-for-work revamp of the magazine. So, yeah, there's going to be women in provocative poses, right? But it's going to be PG-13. And they say they're going to focus on creating a gentler, hipper image with visual art, investigative journalism, in-depth interviews. Now, look, here's the thing. Playboy makes most of its money licensing the logo worldwide. On everything from mm-hmm. bath products and fragrances to clothing and liquor. The U.S. edition of the magazine loses, I think, around $3 million a year. So the chief executive <laughs> says he sees the magazine as just like a marketing expense just to get the brand you know, out there. But I'm wondering, you know, is no nudes good news for Playboy? <laughs> so here's the brand dilemma. Think of this. I hadn't heard that one before. <laughs> here's the dilemma. That logo is infused with meaning. They built meaning yes. into this over time. And so there's a, this association. I doubt yes. any millennial men are going to display copies of Playboy on their office desks. I don't think it's going to happen. And, and, and then the good news is we're going to see now of those 800,000 subscriptions, we're going to find out uh-huh. how many of these older guys, the ones who've been telling us that they only buy the thing for the articles, we're going to see if they were telling the truth or not. Because <laughs> if it drops, then they were lying. <laughs> well, they're targeting now a younger audience, oh, oh. so it's really, there's, a, there's other excuses oh. that one can use. Okay. <laughs> but no, I think that makes a lot of sense. In fact, my wife and I were puzzling over this when we saw the news because we said to each other, well, but that's not what the magazine is. Shouldn't they, if they want to do that, why don't they just start a new magazine? That's what I'm saying. I mean, why would you slap that brand on, onto something that, that doesn't mean the same thing? And the answer is that they can. Uh, if Playboy <laughs> ceases publishing, it's symbolic of something that will have a ripple effect through all their branding and uh, down goes the ship because the magazine stops publishing. In fact, I think they'd be better off with 800,000 subscribers from now until the end of time, don't oh, you? I wouldn't mess with that. <laughs> I, I wouldn't touch it. All right. <laughs> I've got a couple for you today. I always try and have a couple, as you know. Um, first is from The rap. This is a rant. Here's the title. Meryl Streep rips Rotten Tomatoes for, quote, infuriating lack of female critics. Uh-oh. And... I just thought this was so funny. Now, Meryl, you should know. Rotten Tomatoes, everybody knows, I think, is a movie review site where you've got people who submit uh, reviews and then they're aggregated to be fresh or certified fresh or certified certified rotten. Um, Meryl's in a new movie called Suffragette, which sounds from its title, perhaps not inordinately male appealing. (laughs) Nevertheless, she actually went and counted the critics, the genders of the critics on Rotten Tomatoes, which I think would have been a much more interesting thing to do maybe, say, five, six years ago when anyone cared about what Rotten Tomatoes said in this day and age of Facebook social media. 
Rotten Tomatoes is significantly less influential than it used to be. So Meryl actually took her precious time between takes, I assume, and counted the number of critics. She said there were 168 women, and I thought that's absolutely fantastic. And if there were 168 men, it would be balanced. If there were 268 men, it would be unfair, but I would be used to it. If there were 360, if there were... Actually, there are 760 men who weigh in on the tomato meter versus 168 women. My first thought when I read that was, only 760 men? I mean, I'm I'm surprised. That's only because Rotten Tomatoes is selective. I'm surprised there aren't 760,000 men. Tom, it is not the fault of Rotten Tomatoes that women will not waste their precious time reviewing these. by spouting off about stupid movies and what you should and shouldn't see in Rotten Tomatoes. It's a miracle to me that the ratio is only 760 <laughs> to 168. I think Meryl Streep should consider herself lucky that the ratio is only that. So that's any thought on that? Um, no. <laughs> so here's my second one. All right. Tom, have you heard of a site called Paranormal Date? No. <laughs> well, <laughs> you, what do you date? This like is that? not a news site. No, the ghost? This is not a news site. Yes, exactly right. <laughs> this is because, you know, we all need our own kind of niche dating site, presumably, um, or at least the, the people who put forward the site think so. Paranormal Date, it's not a news site. It's been around for a few months. It was created by a radio guy named George Nouri. And here's his explanation for why he created this uh, unique <laughs> dating experience. you got to listen to this. Hi, I'm George Nouri from the nationally syndicated radio show Coast to Coast AM, and I created ParanormalDate.com. I did it because of my listeners. They would come up to me at various speaking engagements all around the country, and they'd come up and say, hey, George, we want to meet people of like minds, people who are into science, ghosts, UFOs, alternative medicine, conspiracies. We want to meet people like that. We might even want to date them, but we have no place to go. So I went, hmm paranormaldate.com that's what I'll put together where people from all over the planet can get together and maybe meet up it's free to join just go to paranormaldate.com and if you want to stay in contact with someone there's a small monthly fee but if you use the code George you get a huge discount paranormaldate.com you are not alone hey look listen. I I met one of those guys I don't remember where I was. I think I was at a TV station or somewhere. I was doing an interview. And the guy interviewing after me was he could predict the future. And, 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 and he came up to me and he, and, and he said, hey, you are good. Do you, do you want to be on my show? You know, his TV show. I said, sure. He says, well, when do you want to be on it? I said, you tell me when I'm going to be on it. You're the guy who knows the future. <laughs> He didn't get the joke or he didn't like it. <laughs> He's heard it before, I'm sure. So I love the tagline, you are not alone. I think it's safe to say, no, you are very alone. <laughs> and I love the discount code of George. You know, probably the first time anyone's used a discount code of George anywhere. Oh, I know. But You're I don't know. It's, now. You're going to go in just to see often, how many of these people live around you. <laughs> 
Well, believe me, I th- I can't remember the number of members that they had, but if you look up the registered number of members and then, you know, average them across the geography of the United States, I think you'd have to drive about 500 miles to find the next closest member, let alone one of the proper opposite <laughs> sex. So what's also impressive to me is that, shockingly, the domain Paranormal Date was available, not to mention everyone who's interested in it. So... <laughs> The truth is out there, Tom, and the truth is... Well, he just got a lot of free publicity from us because I know there's a few of those people that listen to this show. Yes, they're all going to ParanormalDate.com right now, and one look at George Norrie, and you're going you're gonna to say, well, this is clearly the place for me and other people who look like they belong Call in the Call them, see if you can get media unplugged listeners to get a discount or something. I, just enter, that's what he should have said. Just enter a, a coupon code media unplugged and you'll get a deep exactly. discount. That's media unplugged for this week. Please remember to subscribe to us at iTunes or on Stitcher. And while you're there, please rate the show, but not because of no. this episode. It helps other folks discover us. You can also catch us on SoundCloud, Podcast One, Radio Inc., Media Village, and Net News Check, but probably not Vivo. <laughs> You can follow Tom on Twitter at Tom Maysacker and Mark at Mark Ramsey Media. Send us your questions and comments using hashtag Media Unplugged. If there's a media topic you want us to cover, tweet us. You can read the show notes and share the show at our website whenever I get around to posting it, MediaUnplugged.net. Special thanks to the fantabulous, one-of-a-kind producer of Media Unplugged, Jeff Schmidt. Exciting audio for media. You can find him at Jeff-Schmidt.com. For Tom Maysacker, I'm Mark Ramsey, and thank you so much for listening. 